Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Good afternoon. Scotty Stevenson with you on the Rugby Pass podcast as we look ahead to the All Blacks taking on the Wallabies, the final Bledisloe test at Eden Park, and also the Mitre 10 Cup semi-finals this weekend. Special guest on the pod today, the one and only Stephen Beaver Donald. Uh, B, first of all, uh, Waka 2, the Waka Chang, missing out on a semi-final spot. Disturbing. Yeah, very disappointing. Finishing fifth, I think we ended up, and uh, a few points outside the top four, but uh, you get what you deserve, and um, unfortunately we didn't deserve to be there in the end. It was a great season, though, for the Waikato boys, holding onto the Shield as long as you did, only going down to uh, a team that we know has some pretty good Ranfurly Shield history. I know that would have hurt, but uh, the one thing I do want to focus on with you personally right now before we get on to the rest of the footy this weekend is your hot-dogging antics after that try you scored in Wellington in the final game. Uh, fairly disgraceful for a man of your advanced age. Uh, more disgraceful that uh, not more came and joined me. Um, I was just had the arms out <laughs> waiting for all my... Um, I guess my young uh, compatriots to come join me and um, yeah, they took a while to get to me so I don't know if I was too quick for them or what but uh, yeah, I was disappointed in some of my uh, young friends. You've tried very hard this year to mould them, uh, I, I guess in your design in some ways, uh, but they look like they have gelled together well and, and it's the same for all the teams in the Mitre 10 Cup. We're talking about a lot of young players here, we're talking about a lot of kids born in the 90s. Uh, how do you go being an old salty dog in this new kennel? Uh, luckily I've got the maturity of somebody who's born in the 90s so <laughs> that always helps but um, no um, yeah I guess we have not trying to mould them as individuals but just sort of uh, install a bit of I guess a bit of Waikato about them and uh, what you know I guess you know Waikato's the union and the values that have been passed on to us so they've been a great great mob to work with they've uh, they've taken some massive steps hugely disappointment on the top four but um, no still still loved time with them this year and uh, proud of that little uh, that little group of misfits that we uh, brought together this year. I've got to say, the Rugby Pass podcast studio today, just uh, for those of you listening around the Asian environment, we are actually parked in Stephen Donald's car, which is a nice Holden ute. Uh, it's already been to the river this morning looking for some white bait. I've got to say, Beeb, just looking in the back seat, a lot of kit in there. Are you living in this car or uh, do you just cover your bases? <laughs> Always cover your bases, uh, especially when you come to Auckland. You never know how long this city can trap you for. But uh, obviously there's about three or four different jackets that I like wear white batting because uh, sometimes it can get a bit chilly down there but uh, yeah absolutely I've uh, got a few things in there mostly training gear but uh, yeah, yeah Auckland you always need to be packed for Auckland Let's get on to the semi-finals, mate. Uh, first of all, Friday night, uh, Otago is going to be playing Bay of Plenty. Two teams that you didn't see this year. You guys didn't get a chance to have a run around against either of those sides. But home advantage at Forsyth Bar, and, and you know what an Otago side usually does. And I'm, uh, I am buoyed by the work of Ben Herring with that young Otago side this year. I've seen some amazing antics out of the Otago playbook. When you've got a bloke called Brown and a bloke called Herring on the coaching staff, you know something freakish is going to happen. 
dampen at some stage. Are they going to have too much at home for these steamers who have scored plenty of points this year? I think they will have too much. Uh, the steamers have uh, have been a bit of a slow burn, and they and, and they've come a bit right at the, at the end, but. Um, They've they've moulded and, and developed over the, the season and uh, under the guidance of uh, David Hill in the back division, but um, yeah, I think the Otago boys, you know, although it's not the Highlanders, there's a little bit of Highlanders about them the way they play and uh, and I think you've got I think you've actually got to know what you're doing when it comes to playing at Forsyth Buff. You know, it's a hard deck and the balls and play the whole game and uh, I think they're they're attuned to playing playing for that sort of duration and they got guys like. Uh, Franklin there who are very much on the verge of All Blacks so it's um, you know they're probably a class above you know a few of the uh, Bay Planning boys. Joe Toupe, one of the Bay boys playing number eight this year has had a breakthrough season for mine and they're going to be powerful on the carry but uh, here's a question for you here's a fundamental question I want to ask this of the first five why does no one kick the ball into row Z anymore? When you know that teams are going to take quick lineouts against you, why not mitigate for that and kick it into the stands? Because no one wants to have a defensive lineout 20 metres out from your own goal line either. So you know, if you if you give someone a 20 metre lineout, you're saying here have a real free pot at us. So I know what you're saying, and uh, and I know probably a lot of people at home wonder why uh, it doesn't go into the stands. But um, there's a few mitigating factors with that, and uh, and for all the poor first fives out there, uh, we're under a lot of pressure to get the ball into touch. <laughs> Have you had a pressure situation where you haven't found touch before? Oh, I can't remember one, but some a lot of people go on about one, but I just can't remember which one it was. Uh, for those listening in Hong Kong today, you might have something to say about that. Well, Bay, Bay of Plenty, for me, are a team that, that, that I think has improved in the same way that uh, North Harbour's improved. We'll get to them in just a moment. But for them to be in the semi-final mix, I think, just shows that the coaching structure is working down there. And, and you mentioned David Hill before. What does he offer as a coach? What, what are the strengths that he brings to an attack system or a defensive system? Uh, I mean, when you've played first five for as long as he has and, and played in as many different scenarios as he has, you, you've got to feel pretty good grasp on, on footy, to be fair, and, and attack. And and you know what works. Often, you know, you, you might come across a coach who throws stuff at you that might sound good on a whiteboard and stuff like that. But for someone like Kelly, who's played 10 for probably 20 years at the highest levels um, and with differing, um, differing abilities, like he played in Japan so he also knows what the top players deal with and what you know when you're trying to get the best out of maybe not the top players so he would have a great understanding of that and um, yeah he's just a very smart rugby mind which uh, as you know Sumo most number 10s are uh, very (laughs) smart people (laughs) incredibly intelligent breed they are mate let's go to Wellington and uh, we've already brought up your antics down there uh, over the weekend but it's a Wellington side that now heads into a semi-final with home advantage but on the back of three straight losses people talk about momentum in this competition are you a momentum man or do you think that teams at this level should be all about the next game and, and forget what's happened? Oh, I think momentum is big. I think confidence is big. Uh, going into a training session on a Monday after a win is very different to a loss. And, uh, you know, the only thing that's in Wellington's favour is that they should be pretty angry and um, and have a real edge about their work this week, which you, which you always get after a loss. I don't know how they've lost three in a row. They've got a forward pack that would be the absolute envy of any team in both the Premiership and the Championship. So it's a tough one to work out because I know when we were looking at their team last week, I was thinking, geez, this is one monstrous, experienced super pack. 
you know, and, and as we know at ITM level, it's or sorry, might attend now, it's uh, it's very inexperienced. But when you can get eight guys like they can field, um, you know, it's it's a pretty powerful team. Um, and it's just a matter of uh, whether they can get over the humps of, um, I guess, a couple of losses. Well, you talk about the fact they can put eight great guys on the pitch and they've got some young and exciting backline players, but, you know, they had a big lead over you with only a handful of minutes to play. They made some changes and all of a sudden the whole dynamic, the whole complexion of the game changed. So is there a concern for Wellington that, that they're trying to play 15-man rugby in a 23-man game? Um, oh, I mean, there, there could be an aspect of that. You know, I mean, it is what it is in the Mitre 10 Cup, you know, there's... You've not, with the salary cap and everything, you know, you can't probably have uh, the powerful squads that teams of yesteryear have had where they've just rolled out a whole super team. But Wellington has still got a very good squad and a number of super players. So um, that might have just been a case of, uh, as far as last week goes, just a little bit of an experience in some critical positions where, you know, I guess some, some critical decisions need to be made about trying to close out a game. And, uh, and you learn that. That's the best thing about it when you stuff one up. You get told about it all week by your coaches, so uh, you, you do learn pretty quickly on those ones. What about their opposition, North Harbour? North Harbour having a big win over my uh, love, beloved Far on the weekend, which is no surprise, really. The Far have won one game in two years, so uh, thanks for choking against them for me, mate. That was that was good of you, the Waikato. But the, that North Harbour side, they, they have some out-and-out ability. I want to start with their first five, Bryn Gatlin. I think he's been guilty a little bit this season of, of kicking as a plan A and not really thinking too much about a plan B, but he seemed to shelve that against the Far play a little bit more open rugby and allow that midfield of his, of Michael Little and uh, Matty Vyinger, to get some time with the ball. Does he need to do the same against Wellington or do you think he'll revert to type and be kick dominant? Well, it'll just depend on, you know, obviously the pressure of semi-final and knockout football people generally will probably veer on the side of conservatism and, and probably kick more than uh, what they have been. So I had seen a bit of harbour where I thought they were too kick kick happy uh, from 9 from 10 from 15 I thought they had a real a real mentality of we're not going to play anything inside our own half and let's get down there and hope that the opposition makes mistakes so um, I think they I think they'd be silly to to go too back into their shell like they were maybe when I saw them play Tasman um, so I think they need to keep spreading the ball I think that midfield does come into play when, they, uh, when they're a bit more aggressive I know they're aggressive against us in the shield challenge and, and their midfield was excellent that day so I think they should be uh, hopefully they're seeing the, 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 uh, the sort of prototype that they need to be doing as far as their mentality goes but it's uh, Britain's Bryn's obviously a young first five and, and you feel your way early and um, sometimes it's easier just to kick it and, and yep. relieve some pressure off yourself as the individual here on the Rugby Pass podcast as we count down to the semi-final weekend of the Mitre 10 Cup and also the Bledisloe Cup test, the final Bledisloe Cup test at Eden Park. Uh, with me today is Stephen Donald and this podcast coming to you from the front seat of Stephen Donald's Holden Ute which is packed to the rafters with white baiting kit, rugby boots and uh, change of clothes maybe for a little cheeky beer in Auckland City this evening. <laughs> but we need to move on uh, to the... Uh, we need to move on to our lunch actually before we carry on because uh, we've just been to a lovely establishment in the village of Mount Eden here uh, near the central city and uh, I don't know about you but um, my black stack burger of pork belly, uh, peanuts and coriander uh, with a bit of cucumber was a delight but you've gone for something a little bit spicier out of the Vietnamese kitchen. Yeah, I had what I would essentially thought was a crumb chicken burger. Um, traditional uh, choice of mine whenever I go to uh, 
a place of a crumb chicken burger on the menu, but uh, they uh, they were a bit tricky. I might not have read the fine print and uh, <laughs> and everything in there, but there was certainly a little bit of a dash of spice in there, which uh, certainly let me know it wasn't just your uh, your regular KFC chicken burger. But uh, I still loved it all the same. I uh, wouldn't have wanted any more spice, but um, I think it was just the right level for someone pretty plain like myself. I think where things went maybe slightly wrong in the ordering is that you also went for the hot chocolate to go with it, and uh, perhaps a hot chocolate and a spicy Vietnamese um, fried chicken burger wasn't wasn't the greatest option of beverage. Well, I went there hungry, and I felt that I knew the drink would come out first, so I needed something that was almost like a meal replacement. And traditionally, I'm a green tea with honey person, but that was just going to be like drinking water. So I just felt like I needed something solid, and uh, and the hot chocolate was my uh, choice of beverage. Let's move on to the semi-finals, Mitre 10 Cup, and uh, well, it's the usual suspects, certainly over the last few seasons. Uh, first of all, Canterbury taking on Counties Monaco, and then secondly, Taranaki playing host to Tasman. Interesting for me here that both semi-final hosts in the Premiership beef have lost to their opponents this season, so the visitors won't be scared about turning up and maybe trying to do it again. We'll start with Counties, the land of your birth, the land of your origin. Uh, that performance over Canterbury, does that just come down to desire, or do you think think they had found a way to truly and genuinely pick that Canterbury team apart. I think a bit of both. I mean, and one thing that I you didn't mention there is I actually thought at the start of a campaign they were ravaged by injury. Yeah. Um, but I thought Counties would be a team to beat and um, and for, for counties and the people of counties, I'm very happy, obviously, that they've made the semis because I actually think they can give it a tilt. It was at the expense of my beloved Moolus, which is uh, another story. But um, I think they've got the ingredients to get the job done in Christchurch. They've got enough experience there. They've got some experience at 9 and 10. They've got some grizzly forwards up front and they've also got a few big boppers that are gonna gonna hurt you so to me they've got a formula that could go down there and rattle a few cages the big thing is they would have been emotionally very up last week for that game at Pookie Stadium knowing they had the win to secure a semi-final the big question for me is whether they can go back to back against the yardstick of New Zealand provincial rugby what is it that makes Canterbury so hard to play? So many people have written so many words and spoken so many words about Canterbury and their dominance and, and why they're tough and why they win titles. Can you simplify it? Is it just about having players who are very good in their individual positions? Is it about uh, a stylistic implementation of a game plan? What What is the key thing to think about whenever you turn up and play a team like Canterbury? I think it's their, it is their ability to, doesn't matter who rolls in, they know their job and they do it to a very, very high degree of professionalism. You can't say it's the individuals because in the modern day with the Mitre 10 Cup, uh, the individuals' faces are always changing and uh, and what have you. So I think it's got a lot to do with their structures and, and how structured they are. And, and you know that you can't afford to give them anything cheap because you're going to probably have to earn yours quite hard. So... I think there's a real there's a real structure focus for them, and that and it's the greatest strength, and it could be the thing that plays into a county's hand because counties will take you out of that structure because they may have a structure 
that they know, but when you watch them, you probably can't find it yourself. <laughs> so, um, and when you've but, got... that, but that's good though, yeah, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. disruptive, and that's uh, that's been county strength, and certainly in their even in their you know glory years. And I'd go back to the mid late nineties when Joe Alley and Jonah were running around on on opposite wings. They, they did freakish things, and yep. teams just didn't know then how to regroup. If you can get that Canterbury defensive line on the back foot, that that's pretty much what you've got to do. But you've got to do it over and over and over again. Yep. And, and oh yeah, you don't have to tell me how good it was to watch the <laughs> county's teams of the nineties. Uh, there was no other place I'd rather be than on the hill there at Pookie Stadium watching uh, my heroes go. But um, no, a hundred percent. Counties have the game if they front with it that will test and quite capable of beating Canterbury because they're such big physical men. For a start, that's going to take you outside your comfort zone for your structures. Suddenly, the advantage line and the gain line that Canterbury rely on because of their structures are just rolling and almost repetitive. If you can't get that, all of a sudden you're in trouble. And, and the flip side of that, as you say, the county's attack, although we joke and say there's, there is no structure, there'll be a structure that they will all know and play to, run magnificently by Augie. Um, it does look a bit unpredictable and, and teams probably do struggle to put a finger on it but it's simply because they've got such athletes mm. who can inside their structures add a little bit of flavour to it with the offloads and the great feet and uh, they've got a few young backs uh, Lutero out the back who's uh, obviously a brother of a couple of handy footballers himself but he's coming on leaps and bounds every week and uh, yeah, I just think for, uh, for feet on the wing too, and is it? Yeah, he's. Uh, I like him a lot too. He's a big boy and uh, he's got some game-breaking abilities. So I don't know. I've just got a funny feeling if counties if counties are there to play, and it's a big question because I know it sounds simple. If they're there to play, then they can uh, they can do it again. Right, mate, we'll wrap it up then with Taranaki Tasman, uh, two teams that, that go the 80, we know that much, and uh, this final two years ago was a cracker, um, Taranaki getting up on that occasion, Tasman's had the wood on them the last couple of seasons, but uh, the Tasman side started so slowly, but and they're trying to find their mojo, uh, Marty Banks becomes crucial uh, to their performance against Taranaki, Marty McKenzie running the cutter for Taranaki, uh, the two Martys in charge, the two tens, is this where it comes down to for you, just who guides their team around the park the best because I think when you look at it man for man they are quite evenly matched yeah I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with you here Sumo um, I'm pretty adamant that Taranaki will win this mm. um, at home I think consistently all year they've been I'd say they've been a lot better than Tasman um, and obviously they're part of a Chiefs franchise so um, big <laughs> shout outs to my boys down in New Plymouth but um, no I think I think to be honest with you I think this is Taranaki's game they've got a hardened pack you saw the emotion on Rugby Marshall's face at mm. full time he wants it before he departs mm. and then you've got you know as you say McKenzie Tamanavulu out of midfield Declan O'Donnell's Former Waikato playing, playing the best I've ever seen him. Um, I just, I think, I think they're too good a team at the moment. I want to talk about another uh, chief, Mitch Graham. Mm. What a unit! I don't think I've seen a loose head prop get so many minutes in a competition. Uh, Colin Cooper leaves him out there for 80 minutes a week, or your money back. Uh, it's a staggering effort from Mitch to be running around uh, game 10 of the season, game 11 of the season, and I think he's just devoured about 800 minutes so far. I mean, that, that's a big workload on uh, on a guy who's a pretty promising front row. Yeah, and uh, just a little sidestep for you. I think he's a chemical engineer. He is? Yeah, so uh, 
bit of brains too there with Mitchie Graham, but um, <laughs> no, he is uh, <laughs> careful how I word this, but he has got a big motor on him, um, <laughs> and that's uh, that's a lovely that's a term yeah. of endearment for my fellow chef. He uh, he's got a big engine that just keeps going, and uh, I think he played probably played some pretty big minutes with the Chiefs too, mm. and uh, as you say he's played some big minutes with a Naki too, so. He's just someone you can rely on, really. There's someone that, you know, you don't have to worry about him. He's going to go and do his job. And uh, and he's got another mate underneath his wing there in the front row that'll do the same. So, yeah, it's just guys like that and uh, and the Marty McKenzie's and Tamanaville who's where I just think things start to stack up. But uh, who knows, this, this could be the year of the Naki again. Interesting points you make there. Mm. And we all need someone to rely on, don't we? <laughs> Hard to come by those people, but... Uh, it's yeah. getting harder, isn't it? I mean, the All Blacks have had to get someone to rely on this week. They've had to get Augie Pulu in to uh, cover the spot vacated by Aaron Smith, who's serving a one-match suspension and has been told to go and deal with some personal issues and, and probably the right move from the All Blacks. I mean, was there any... You know, as a player, would there have been any benefit to Aaron Smith to get him straight back in the field after everything that's gone on over the last couple of weeks? Or is this a good move from the All Blacks to say, just go and deal with what you've got to deal with and, and you'll come back in time? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the guy's safe in his position. He's uh, he's the world's greatest. Uh, has been for the last three or four years. So, um, yeah, I, I think... It is what it is. Um, TJ's hardly playing poorly, so it's a yeah. good opportunity for TJ to get some game time. And, uh, you know, I think they just move on and uh, and the world will be a better place. Arrogance was a word used this week about All Black fans in particular and thinking that this is a fait accompli. And we all know the numbers. Australia hasn't won at Eden Park since 1986. Uh, we know they haven't beaten the All Blacks. Um, well, they beat them last year in 2015. wasn't that long ago. But since that time in three tests, they haven't come up with anything. But I mean, is, it, is it fair to write them off? Are they showing any signs for you that Michael Checker's game plan is being implemented and that they're improving? Because I look at the team that beat the All Blacks in 2015. This is a different team and almost an entirely different team. Yeah, I think 12 months ago you, there was some genuine excitement around Aussie rugby and uh, with good reason what they were putting out there and I just, they just, to me they, to me they you just look at their team and like it's Foley and Cooper at 10-12, I know what they're trying to replicate because Gitto's gone but I'm not sure about that and and do, they don't know really, it doesn't look like they know what to do for Laos, obviously the greatest attacking threat but to me, he looks like he wants to play somewhere, and he's not playing there. And uh, and I don't. Th- maybe that's affecting his form. And yeah, just and I, no Guinea this week. Is that right? Big loss with no Guinea. Um, yeah, and 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 some, even suddenly some of the forwards that they've absolutely built sort of a checker house on over the last few years all of a sudden they're not getting picked like the Fardies and yeah. in and out who were, who were such uh, key parts of his uh, original sort of plan so they just look a little bit chopping and changing but at the end of the day Aussie can still put 15 good players out there and they get a few things to go their way to bounce the ball it doesn't take much for an Australian to get a bit of confidence back in his uh, system and uh, and a confident Australian's a dangerous thing so you know there's, it's not a foregone conclusion um Although I do believe the TAB is offering odds of a thousand to one, but um, <laughs> no, I think it's still a test match, and uh, you know, there's, but to me, the All Blacks will be jacked up about this whole world record thing. It seems to be made of a bigger deal than it ever has been. So, 
I guess that goes with you know wanting to achieve new things. So I think they. But that's about a new leadership group, isn't it? That's yeah. giving them the challenge. So last year it was McCaw's challenge and Carter's challenge and Nonu and Smith and Woodcock and Mialamu. This has got to be their challenge now. This is their Everest and it's come early in the career. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and for that reason, I cannot see Australia sneaking in Eden Park and uh, and ambushing them and, and catching them on a flat night for that very reason alone. And, and, and the Eden Park fact, Eden Park's a special place to be an All Black and uh, I was there today and they're putting an extra seating which tends to suggest they're going to have a fair few people there so... Um, have you had a game on Eden Park? What's that? Have you had a game on Eden Park for the All Blacks? <laughs> Been a few head knocks since then, I can't really remember but uh, <laughs> might, have, might have strolled out on one or two. <laughs> but, uh, well, but this is the thing about history though, right? Because I know that, that everyone talks about the All Blacks getting this record but what about the Australians? I mean, they've got history too. They're, they're trying to become the first side to win at Eden Park for 30 years. I mean, that in and of itself is also a challenge for this team, isn't it? Or does one challenge usurp the other or, or supersede the other in terms of importance? No, not at all. And I, it's just a matter of whether what, how we, how the two teams look at it. I mean, Australia could look at it and think, geez, hasn't done it for 30 years. How's it, how are we going to do it? Sort of thing. And, uh, and the All Blacks, you know, I know, you know, it weights down on you a bit like you don't want to be the first team to lose it in 30 years sort of thing. But I think they're too, they're in too good a place uh, mentally and, and as a team, they're in too good a place. And, and there's a lot of guys out there I've had, uh, was fortunate enough to have, uh, breakfast yesterday with uh, South Proclaimed World's Best Centre at the moment and Anton Leonard Brown and uh, <laughs> he uh, he's just a, bum, a bundle of joy at the moment, he's very confident in himself and uh, he's playing unbelievable footy for a guy sort of three or four games into his test career so when you've got guys like that who are fearless and just uh, loving the moment, there's, and I think this will be his first, his first crack at Eden Park too which is a special night for him so there's just no chance I don't think of an ambush happening and, and that would be my only, that could have been the only way it was going to happen You talk about an ambush what about an Australian team that can actually hold the ball put vast numbers of phases together play the All Blacks inside their own half as they did in that 12-all draw as they did in that 27-19 victory where they controlled the territory they controlled the possession we saw it in the second half in uh, Buenos Aires the Argentinians really troubled the All Blacks when they just held the ball gave the All Blacks nothing to work with is that the secret to succeeding against this team because it sure as shit ain't kicking the All Blacks the ball. No, but I think you've got to be able to do it. I mean the thing in the Argentinas they've got a massive pack who can physically match the All Blacks and uh, and they can and they roll some good forwards off the bench too and, and they got some smart halves. Without Guinea, without a Gateau floating around and you know, depending on what pack they go with, can can uh, can Australia do that? I mean, that's the question. I mean, it's it sounds easy. Keep the ball off them and just hold on to it. But you know, that, that Australian pack doesn't have a Facundo Issa, does it? Doesn't have a big ball carrying number eight that no. that is going to trouble the All Blacks. That's that's half the problem. I think you're right, Beef. Saturday night you'll be fishing. Yeah, just uh, probably down in the Coromandel. Uh, probably won't be fishing at 7:30, but uh, <laughs> during the day I'll go for a fish and. Uh, have a few snapper fillets uh, on the on the knees while I'm watching uh, another All Blacks victory. Great to have you on the Rugby Pass podcast today, Beef. Thanks for your time. I hope you get your car serviced at some stage, at least cleaned. It's uh, but gee, it's looking a picture. What a rig you're rolling in. Is this the freebie? Nothing in life is free, uh, Sumo. We all earn what we uh, deserve. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a magnificent car by the good people at Holden.
Well, this has been free for you. RugbyPass.com is the site to go and visit. Make sure you purchase your ticket to the greatest rugby in the world at your fingertips. And we'll be back with the Rugby Pass podcast next week.